This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 179. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have a exciting and special guest. Her name is Christine Scott, and she is the founder and CEO of Seattle Conflict Resolution. And um, we met on a podcasting site, and she um, helps people with conflict. And we together thought it would be a really interesting topic to talk about for veterinarians and veterinary technicians and receptionists and all the people that deal with the clients, because... Lord knows there's conflict <laughs> in vet med with the clients and with um, each other sometimes on the team. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Christine. I'm so excited to meet you and talk to you. It's going to be fun. Thank you, Julie. So can you kind of give us uh, like a short bio or tell me about a little bit about yourself and how you got into this line of work? Because I think it's fascinating. Well, thank you. I did not set out to be a conflict person. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I grew up in a small town. Um, you know, I was one of those country gals who loved horses and animals and being in the woods and dealing with other people and their big feelings is not something I would have ever thought I would be into. <laughs> that's fascinating because that's how a lot of veterinarians start out, right? We right. like animals better than people. Oh yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Animals are a lot more consistent in their affection, in their affection, and in their behaviors than people are. <laughs> so, um, forgiving, right? They are. So, what happened to me is, you know, part of that big, big heart that we have as animal lovers is, of course, applied to people too. And I took an AmeriCorps position, thinking it would be really great for me to help homeless young people. Um, who don't have a safe place to sleep at night, who don't have a meal uh, by running this meal program. And so my first night at this meal program here in Seattle was absolute chaos. It was terrible. <laughs> and mind you, AmeriCorps only pays $900 a month. So this was a real act of sacrifice that I left my middle management job to come run this program, right? Your job to run it. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and so my first night there, there was like a, it was a church basement and had about 50 young people. And there was this 14 year old gal who was just causing fights everywhere she went. My purse was stolen. Fights were just erupting spontaneously and it was loud. My food team, the volunteers that were serving the dinner were like hiding behind the food table. It was that bad. <laughs> And all of a sudden, this booming voice broke out over this chaos, and it said, hey, little bean, knock it off. You're messing it up for the whole burrito. And everything got quiet and wow. calm. And all of a sudden, these young people had, you know, please and thank yous. And I just was fascinated. Yeah, that is fascinating. Like, who are you that you're so accountable to each other? And who is that guy who said that? I found out later he was a street dad and that there's a lot of rules within the street community around how street family works. Really? Yes. And that, that was my lean-in moment. That was when I realized like, okay, I need to stick around. <laughs> I was so ready to quit, but I need to stick around and learn from you guys. And one of the things, I mean, that started like a 20-year journey. But one of the things that they became my biggest teachers on was moving me from conflict avoidant to conflict embracing. Mm. Right. I because like that. I like that vocabulary. Yeah. I think it would all benefit if we could embrace conflict a little bit more. It's it's this amazing place where we're raw, we're honest, and there there feels it feels like there's a lot at stake, right? Yeah. And when that happens, we can have these really powerful connections or these not so powerful disconnections, but, but the young people who lived on the streets had so much exposure to real conflict, conflict that could end their lives that they, they had to figure it out to survive. Yeah. So they became my, my, my greatest teachers in like how to assess what is real. And most of the things that I was assessing as conflict 
or actually kind of what you called in your shows earlier, the Chihuahua brain, right? Like a lot of the things that yeah, I primitive was brain. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I, I was, being... I named it my Chihuahua brain because it reminds me of that emotion that you get from a very, very frightened dog, you yeah. know, like yeah. they just, they just sass and bite and get mm -hmm. all freaked out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the number one myth of conflict, right? Is that our, is that our little frightened dog brain comes up yeah. and says, oh no, I'm, I'm cornered. In, danger, in, danger. Danger, yeah. danger, right? And, yeah. and we respond from that place. Right, and, instead and of we, common sense. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's normal. Our biology has hacked us and that's okay. It happens to all of us. But when that happens, we either get too big or too small. And then we decide that because neither of those work that we must be bad at conflict wow we either get too big or too small explain right. that like too angry or we retreat is that what so you that? right yeah like so there's there's the chihuahua who's shivering in the corner mm -hmm. right and then there's yeah. the chihuahua who's biting yeah, beautiful. <laughs> both, yeah both of those are really normal biological responses to feeling like your life is threatened yes yeah, that's crazy. I mean, when you think about it that way, it's also true. And I mm -hmm. think what we what we tend to forget is when, and we'll probably get into this later, but when other people are reacting in a kind of odd way, that that's their their brain going to either too big or too small. Oh, Julie, and you and they're losing their sense, right? You they're nailed it. Yeah, I, I usually I usually spend my classes the first hour helping people deescalate themselves, and you're already like saying, "Oh, but this applies to that person." To that exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I kind of like this jam. You know, I, I've told people before on the podcast that I enjoy conflict, and it's mm -hmm. not because. I like to fight, which I kind of do. My husband tells me I should have been a lawyer, but, but beyond that, it's because I like the resolution. I like trying mm -hmm. to calm people down the common sense, the back and forth. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that's something that you're going to teach us to do today a little bit. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it usually takes them a moment to get to that rational part where you can have that back and forth. Sure. Because when our Chihuahua is running the show, no new information can come in. Yes. Yeah. Right. You can't listen. You can't listen. Yeah. yeah. You're too, either too terrified or too angry or too emotional or something. Right. And when a full freeze flight kind of set in has happened, you have about 20 minutes of that status of no new information's coming in. You're not capable really of understanding the compromise that's possible. You just, you just feel threatened. Okay. Well, you know what? That's really fascinating then. And, and I'm going to start asking you questions. So if you don't want me to go there, tell me to back off. Okay. Fine. The, the 20 minutes, which I, I really like that thought, then how do you recommend that people, when they're dealing with somebody that's in that place of not being reasonable and upset, do you just wait, wait them out, let them do their thing and back mm -hmm. off and then come back later? Like, is that what you recommend? One of the one of my favorite phrases is, wow, you deserve my undivided attention. This is a really important topic to me. Mm. Can I come back to you with that? Okay. Right. Because in other words, we all deserve to go into these conflicted conversations with all of our resources on board. And typically, especially in a vet clinic, you don't have that moment just to carve out your undivided attention for a single dog owner right you have all these sure. other things that are going on and and when you do that when you give them the modeling about okay I'm gonna come back to you because you're really important to me but right now I've got to walk away you give them the same permission to like take five okay right and yeah. so sometimes they might calm down sometimes that will help them not go into the full <laughs> the full-fledged 20-minute thing your whole story the right, the whole thing, but maybe, you know, maybe even when you come back 10 minutes from now, you'll, you'll see that, that they're starting to process information. They're starting to have more of an exchange with you. That's what you're looking for. You're looking yeah. for them actually doing more than just barking at you. Yes. That's fascinating. Because extreme human emotion, like the height and height of our anger, or the height, height of our grief typically won't last longer than 20 seconds. Because it's just very exhausting. It takes a lot of energy to have those really intense emotions. So I encourage people like, like 
let them know that they're important and walk away or swap off if you're not the person who has the resources to handle them. Okay. So you can call in the the A team or something. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Cause yeah. we all have we all have the people that for whatever reason just get under our skin. Right. And that's okay. Just don't don't expect you'll be the best conflict resolutionary with that person. Right, right. Yeah. I see that a lot with receptionists and certain clients. They'll be like, oh, here comes Mrs. So and so. I can't. I just can't. Yeah. And yeah. they'll be like, oh well, I like that one. Let me have that one, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. So I and I encourage my team to trade off. And, and as long as they have a certain script that they use when they do that trade-off, the, the client's going to feel pretty good about it because what they're hearing is, you know what, I am sorry, but I'm not the right person to help you. And you really deserve that. Okay. As opposed to, oh, not you, right? Like you, you, right, there's right. ways to language that. that <laughs> right. Like I, I hear that you're upset. Let me get, mm-hmm. let me get my doctor. Let me get my manager. She can probably mm-hmm. help you better than I can or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I do find, and, and it's not fair, but being the doctor is the clients often treat us a little bit better than the rest of our staff. Unfortunately, something about that title or even the owner of the practice, you know, I used to get that they'd be mean to one of my doctors and then I'd go in and they'd be nice. And I'd be like, Hey, that person was perfectly nice. What do you mean? They were mean, right? (laughs) They're like, well, they were mean to us. They weren't mean to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the common myths around conflict that I see a lot is that, oh, well, some people just aren't good at it. Right. And that gets back to that fixed brain thing where we think, Oh, because I've had bad experiences, I'm not good at it. Or um, we have these ways of putting people into boxes, right? Like um, women get this message a lot. Oh, well, you're a woman, so you don't really handle conflict as well as men do. Yeah, which is yeah, I've heard that is, before. Which is which I, I'm like, bring them, <laughs> bring them on. Let me try them on. <laughs> yeah, as total prep, as, as a matter of fact, we actually handle conflict better, especially with men because we are not seen as a threat, Mm. right? Men are more likely to do kind of that running elk thing with each other where they're sizing each other up for a physical challenge. Whereas a woman comes in there and this man is, who's really irate is now freed of having to do that, having to do that threat assessment physically. Okay. So, so we actually have an advantage and we also tend to be more in tune and able to pick up on social and emotional cues um, than men are. So, so we are actually better at handling conflict, but we've been socialized with this message that we're somehow not good at it, or we need to always be soft and, and friendly and conflict is like ugly. But what I tell women is just like, hey, remember you have a strong spine and a soft belly and you need both of those in handling yeah, conflict, yeah. right? Well, and it, yeah, like you said, it's such a skill. I, I, that's mm-hmm. what I tell some of my coaching clients. They're like, well, I hate conflict. And I said, you don't, you can hate it, but if you get really good at it, you're not going to hate it so much. And it is yeah. a skill. It is. It is. I tell people it's like public speaking. The more you do of it, the easier it gets. Yes. If you avoid it, however, the conflict will get bigger. So don't kick it down the road because yes. it will come back with this big hairball (laughs) that you are not going to like. Right. Yeah. I used to, um, when I first started as a veterinarian, I was a little bit afraid, afraid of the clients, afraid of the conflict. And I found that if I started to feel that like nervous tension, because I had to call a client that was unhappy, or I had to go in a room with someone that was unhappy, I just had to like, take a deep breath and just like, be like, okay, stay as calm as you can stay don't fight back. Cause I always wanted mm-hmm. to fight back. You know, I, I get that adrenaline rush. Like I want to, I want to win. Don't win. Just go in there and let them blow. And it, and the calmer you stay and the less you let them see that you're upset, even if you are a little upset on the inside, the less it kind of diffuses them. Do you it find? Does. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because of that-, that a little bit, what is, what is happening there? They just need to exhaust that emotion. Hmm. They're just, and they're just burning it off. They're just burning it off. And at that point, sometimes I pretend they're speaking a different language. Like it really doesn't matter what they say, what they say. This yeah. is just a burn off phase. Okay. And then you can have, then the conversation can start when they're done. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you can just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other for the most part. 
mm-hmm. and just keep mm-hmm. nodding. Just, just like, yeah, yeah. And, and I nod a lot. I look not very a lot. Nod. <laughs> not a lot with a with a very neutral face. It's it's great. And just make sure that you're not putting yourself in a situation where your chihuahua is going to hijack you. Because if if this person is going off on you and you happen to be cornered and you have no access to the exit, you're more likely to not be able to have that neutral expression, right? Right, right. <laughs> and you'll want to fight back. Like that was always yep. the thing that I had to fight the most is either wanting to say something to make them wrong mm-hmm. or tell them why they were wrong or fix, like try to jump in too soon to try yep. to fix it. And yep. if you come at it with that energy, that tense energy, then it turns into an argument. It does really quickly. And it's so funny is like a lot of the times that they're sizing you up, they're looking at your nonverbal cues. So what you're saying could also be in a foreign language because they're looking at, are your shoulders square with their shoulders? Are you blocking their egress? Right. Yeah. What's going on with your face, with your tension level? Is there, is there tension in your voice? Like all of these things become really important when we're kind of in that borderline Chihuahua stage. Right. So, so we have to really watch all of that. And one of the pitfalls that happens, especially when, you know, these doctors who own these practices are the ones kind of on the firing line is any threat to your perceived status or authority can trigger the same biological response as a threat to your life. Mm, wow so if, if somebody comes off and says well you're a terrible doctor and you killed my dog whoa if you if you take that in yeah. you're very likely to have a reaction to that statement sure absolutely and, and I see that a lot it, it's very it hurt it hurts mm-hmm. like it's that pain and yeah. then that pain response it, it goes deep and then you just yeah. want to defend even if you know it's all not true Right. Right. So that's, that's where we get back to like, just let them vent, know that you yourself have vented before and said things that were hyper exaggerated. Truth. And, and part of that compassion is like me that talk a lot. (laughs) Right. Like we say things. Yes, we do. Um, You know, part of that compassion is just leaning in and knowing, okay, here's a human in distress. And they're really no different than the biting chihuahua right now. Wow. I I love that. Here's a human in distress. Because we deal with so much emotion in our profession. And I think we tend to forget that. Because my receptionists, my technicians will be like, why are people so mean? I'm like, well, because they're highly emotional. Because their pet is in trouble. And they're Mm -hmm. calling here because they waited three days. And now it's really sick. And they can't get in because we're booked and now they have to go to emergency clinic and they have to spend a lot of money. So if you think about all the emotion behind that, Mm -hmm. they're worried about their pet, all of that, that's where the anger and the frustration and the, the meanness, you know, the meanness comes from. And, and as, and as you look at these articles that you and I were talking about earlier, you're in the middle of a pandemic bottleneck, right? With way more pets and way less vets. (laughs) sure and long wait times and irate pet owners and some new pet owners it's just it's craziness it really is and and it didn't used to be that way and so a lot of the longtime clients are frustrated because you know four years ago when they called at the last minute we'd be like Mm -hmm. come right in we have an opening or we'll squeeze you in and then during the pandemic it was just there's just, just no way to do it you know, we became shorthanded and overbooked. And so then it was like, go to the emergency clinic. Well, then the emergency clinics are full. And yep. so that whole emotional buildup, I think is something that we forget. We just think mm-hmm. they're mean when really it's more, they're upset about their pet and they're right. taking it out on us. And some of my clients are not doctor's offices. You know, I'm working with the Seattle Space Needle. I'm working with yeah. high-end hotels and restaurants and property managers and everybody in every industry that I touch is seeing an increase in hostility of their customers and their guests. Yeah. Um, and and Wait, so what I just do you think that's about, is it the pandemic or is it the social media, like all the negativity on social media? Cause sometimes I think that's part of it is they know they can give you a bad review and 
you know, it, it kind of makes, gives them more like power or something. Well, I think that has always been going on, you know, that bad review kind of snarkiness, but the pandemic we've, we've seen what happens to people's mental health mm, through the pandemic. Yeah. Right. I don't know about the numbers that you're seeing, but here in this region, the calls to drug and alcohol lines have like gone up 900%. Wow. The uh, level of anxiety and depression has gone up, like has doubled in this region. You know, so, so there's all of these indicators that folks aren't doing well mentally and emotionally. Right. Um, and you look at this pandemic that was supposed to be over and life was supposed to return to normal. Two weeks. And now we're like, it's very real that we haven't returned to normal, right? right, right. Um, and that that's depressing. <laughs> so so yeah, it's like all of these for all of us, right? Uh, yeah, we're all running around with a lot of a lot of pain right now, and it it feels like our ability to have that social veneer has just worn thin. So we're just more raw and exposed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. So do you have like a specific other than kind of waiting that 20 minutes before you, you know, address something or you or you just let people kind of blow it off? Do you have any specific like formula if somebody's really not conflict friendly mm -hmm. and it really scares them or, or makes them upset? Do you have like a formula that they can kind of this is what you should do? Yep. And then maybe we can run through a couple examples of that. Sure. So one of the things that really helped me is I started to watch what were the things that I really struggled with, what types of conflict. Okay. Right. And um, you mentioned earlier, like, oh, I've just noticed, right, that if I take a few breaths, <laughs> I can do these things, right? And what you probably noticed is at first you could handle the people that were just mildly irate and then you eventually worked up to the people who were screaming their heads off, right? Like, right. So take, take, a, take a tally of all of the things that get under your skin and start with the easy ones. Start with the ones that are not huge triggers. Okay, because so you're like practicing. Yeah, you're gonna practice with the ones that feel just like you're a little bit on the edge of your comfort zone, right? Okay. You're gonna have a little bit of discomfort. You're gonna lean into those and practice with those. And the ones that are still outside of your comfort zone, you're gonna pull in support. You're gonna have some hopefully good coworkers who know like, oh yeah, I know Christine is really not good with the, you know, with the parrot people. <laughs> she just gotta, I gotta swap out with Christine for those guys. Um, and you're just going to keep on practicing on it because it's just like public speaking. The more you do conflict, the easier it gets. And having that list of the things that trigger you is also going to be your list of homework because places that we haven't healed our own wounds. And a lot of these come from childhood where we didn't have a lot of choice. We didn't have a lot of voice in what happened to us, right? Sometimes conflict will remind us of those old wounds and we'll notice like, oh, I just can't handle such and such a person or such and such a situation. And ding, 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 ding. That's your body like saying, oh, by the way, here's this message. Remember when that got. happened when you were yeah. in junior yeah. high school? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's really fertile ground to like heal your stuff because every place that you get sucked into a like a high conflict response, a very reactive state, it's just your body telling you, oh, that's that's something that's a little left over from the past. Mm. Right. And and I would add to that when you say your body's reaction, mm -hmm. like I know, or I don't get I don't do get it so much anymore. But when I was younger and I was dealing with some of these, you know, angry people or conflict. I would get super like, almost like um, an adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I was going to jump out of an airplane or something before I got yeah. on the phone with them or before I went in the room with them. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that if I was feeling that adrenaline rush, that, that I wasn't quite ready because I was probably going to want to fight back. And so I'd be like, okay, I'm feeling really like kind of nervous right now. So I do need to take a second, you know, put mm -hmm. them on hold or tell them I'll call them back mm -hmm. in a few minutes or you know, whatever. So I could kind of get a little bit calmer and get my head on straight 
Yep. So I knew that I wouldn't fight back. So that's so smart, Julie, because that's part of what I tell people. Okay. Is don't go into a conflicted situation. If you feel that adrenaline, you feel that cortisol, you like start yeah. to burn and start to make yeah, your like shake. you're going to jump out of a plane. Yep. That's what I always yep. thought of it. It felt like I right. was getting ready to go on a roller coaster or something. Yeah. I could feel it in my voice. My voice would start to quiver a little bit. Like, like whatever your signs are, know them and say, yeah. okay, I need to take five. Yeah. Or you want to cry. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if a lot of women feel this, but I, when I get very angry, Instead mm-hmm. of the anger that comes out, the tears come. Oh, and you're I so smart. I don't want to go in with tears <laughs> and with a mean client. I mean, it might work. You might be able to use it, but. <laughs> it seems to disarm men in, a, in amazing ways. But, Sometimes, yeah. But yeah, I do recommend taking care of yourself and being very intentional about like, am I able to have this conversation right now? Right. And when I say take five, it literally can only be five minutes that you need to have that reset. But by showing your body that you're at choice in engaging with this person, you're, you're actually contradicting all of those messages that, that that little mammal brain is giving you. Yeah. That you're not trapped. Exactly. You're not trapped. You're choosing to do it kind of thing. And that you can tap out at any moment. Like once you engage, if you start to feel those, the signs of flooding, Mm -hmm. you get to say, oh, you know what? I forgot that I needed to take care of this one thing. I will be right back. Right. Yeah. That's a really good escape route too, mm-hmm. is just be mm-hmm. like, oh, I just need, I need to go do something. I'll be right back. And then mm-hmm. I think if it was getting really heated and you did that, they might have a little bit of time to calm down. Like you said that it's hard to stay mad for more than what, 20 minutes or something. 20 seconds, 20 seconds 20 is seconds. actually for the, for the intense emotion. Yeah. 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 So, so you're constantly taking care of yourself and navigating in and out of, you know, what I call the hot zone. And making sure you always have good egress, making sure your body always knows the door's right there. And if you need somebody else in the room with you, that's fine. You know, make yes. sure you've set that up. So, so that at no play, at no point do you feel unsafe. Yeah. Um, I, I also encourage people to do kind of what you mentioned, Julie, about the breathing, um, do five deep breaths and try to make that exhale twice as long as the inhale. Okay. And by controlling our breath, again, we're telling our body, you know what? I'm doing this on purpose. I'm, I'm at choice here. This is, this is something that I feel like I'm up for as opposed to, Oh my goodness, I can't handle this. Right. 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 And I like to think of it as a challenge rather than something I have to do. Like, let me see if I can go in here and fix this. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. I, this person's mean or they're nasty or whatever. It's like, okay, let me see if I can figure out why they're so upset. And then maybe I can at least help them or do something to help the situation so it doesn't escalate. And that's really important. Like when you get to that level of comfort with conflict that you can lean in and just say, this is simply an unmet need. Mm-hmm. And it's not my job to meet their need, but it is, it is my curiosity to find out what it is. Because usually all of that, you know, venting and surface tension is not them being really clear about their need, right? I don't know if you've ever had those lean-in moments where you just say something like, well, I know it's really sad that we have to consider euthanasia. And by the moment, at the moment that you like trigger point that unmet need that they have by naming this thing that they're just like not able to articulate. Right. You just see all of the, all of the heat and all of the pressure just release off of them. Yeah. Like they know you get them. Like you really yeah. get what, what they're mm-hmm. upset about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cause that's, I mean, that's true of all of us that we, we don't show the emotion or don't name the emotion, but we take it out on people. The average American during a poll that they did only 35% of the adults in this country can name the emotion at the time that, that we're having it. Wow. Right. So basically two out of the three people that are having emotion in front of you don't even acknowledge that emotion is playing a role in their behavior. Isn't that fascinating? That's why I think I'm so fascinated by this life coaching thing. You know, I've always been fascinated by leadership and I've always studied that and I, and it's kind of similar, but I really think when I discovered life coaching, I was like, oh, this is like 
the key. Like if you Mm -hmm. can figure out what your emotions are and really like dig into them and be okay with them, then you can do anything. Like you you can can really conquer anything. And that's why I became a life coach. I'm like, this is like the key to the universe. And if any, everyone could learn this when they were like 20, like it would be so much easier to live the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You nailed it. Fascinating. Yeah. It's so cool. Well, what else? Like, let me, let me ask you, this is what I hear a lot from some of my veterinarians. They, many of them are very introverted and I get the impression that you are as well. Mm-hmm. You're an introvert. Okay. So they're very introverted and they're very, many of them, especially the people that work for us and even the veterinarians are very um, kind, compassionate, Mm-hmm. want to help everybody people. And so yep. conflict and anger and all of these really heavy duty emotions are super tough for them to handle. Like it feels like an assault, like they're going to war. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. advice would you give to those people that are, they're just so uncomfortable and they just feel like they'll never be able to work their way out of it or handle that big emotion? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know if that's a question, but. <laughs> it is. And, and what I encourage people to do is imagine conflict kind of like the inside of a combustion engine, right? That is just energy. And if that energy doesn't have this metal block around it, it's dangerous, right? It just makes this big explosion. Explode, yeah. But if it has somebody in the room that knows how to hold it and channel it, or not internalize it, just direct it in a safe way, then it could actually be used for good. It can be used for a stronger connection, for a deeper conversation, for that raw honesty and vulnerability. And you don't have to be a robot to do that. You get to be fully emotional and be clear about what you can and can't handle and where your boundaries are. And as you get better at expressing those, or again, with those easier, less like high stakes conflicts. Start with the people that are a little bit less threatening. Right, right. Maybe start in your home life. Start with the people that you love and care about. Because when you screw up with them, you're of course going to lean back in and say, oh, I noticed I was having, you know, this reaction and like, how should we handle it in the future? And get better at that. And then bring that to work because the biology of how we handle conflict is across the board in every arena that will always show up the same. Yeah. Home as, as well as work. Exactly. Exactly. So just get practice, learn your areas of competence and start noticing, oh, well, I'm really good at, you know, just being a good listener when somebody's upset. Oh, okay. So I can handle that. But maybe if they're not upset in this way, oh, well, I've noticed that. I'm able to just to give, give some people my undivided attention and then tap out and say, okay, great. Well, I would like to circle back with you. And what I've noticed a lot of times, a simple offer of five minutes of undivided attention can resolve 80 billion things, right? When mm-hmm. at, 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 the offs, at the introduction to the situation, I look at it and go, oh my gosh, this is too big and too hairy. Right. But I can still offer five minutes of my undivided attention. I have that resource. I can pull on that. And once I kind of put those bookends on it, it's a lot easier for me to offer it and provide it and not feel like I'm in, at, the, at this firing range, right? Yeah. Well, when you were saying that, it occurred to me that we in this profession are so good at handling certain kind of, kinds of emotion. Like we handle grief really mm-hmm. well. We handle, you know, people that are just concerned very well. When it gets hard for us is when it's personal mm-hmm. or it's anger. And, yeah. and when the anger comes at us. And I think sometimes if we can just remember that a lot of that anger comes from a different emotion, it comes from the grief, it comes from yep. the frustration. It's yep. not really us that they're angry at or frustrated mm-hmm. at, it's their feelings about whatever's going on. And if yeah. you can separate that personal attack from the emotion and just try to think of it as, okay, if these people were grieving about their pet, how would I handle them? Cause that's big emotion, mm-hmm. right? Well, mm-hmm. now they're angry that they couldn't get into an appointment. It's kind yep. of the same. 
it, it is the same emotion. And I'm, I'm actually writing this thing called the bully playbook because mm -hmm. bullies always use pretty much the same rules and how they show up in the world. <laughs> yeah. And, and some and clients are bullies. They are. I mean, we have to acknowledge it. And one of the, one of the things that happens when people feel powerless, okay, I don't get a control when my pet is seen. I don't get to control how long this is going to take. I don't get to control if my pet is going to live or die. Right. Like, I mean, when we feel powerless, we are more likely to come out of the shoot either emotionally grieving or emotionally angry. Right. Powerlessness is a really uncomfortable feeling. Right. Yeah. And that's probably why the pandemic caused so much angst because we were powerless against it. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Huh. Really interesting. So tell me a little bit about how you would maybe use this kind of thought process mm -hmm. dealing with online, like, because that happens too, where people don't tell us to their face, but then they go home and they blast us on social media. And yeah. the first thing you want to do is blast back. Yeah. It's very hard not to. Um, but I learned a long time ago that that doesn't that doesn't work. So is, is there something that we can do um, with this conflict resolution mm -hmm. techniques to deal with that? I heard a really great answer um, from a social change activist who was just getting lambasted online. And what she did, and I think this is really powerful, is she started reaching out to her accusers directly and say, you know what? If you want to talk on the phone or on Zoom, I'm I'm available. That's fine. And, and you know, she was doing that publicly so that the whole world could see that she had made that offer to this person. And, and it took the wind out of just, you know, the barbs completely. And she said sometimes people had those conversations and they could reach towards some type of un understanding. Right. Sometimes people just wanted the platform, like they, they just wanted to like publicly defame this, this other person, right? But at that point, that's very clear. Like their, their goal isn't to seek understanding or resolution. Their, their goal is just to be a jerk. Right. Right. And you can read into that a lot on those yeah. reviews, right? Yeah. yeah. And you'll always have, you'll always have those people. And um, since I would work with a lot of people in customer service, I just say, you know, those upset guesses that just want to be jerks and just want to go online and do all this nasty stuff, they're probably like two, three percent of your client base. Yes. Yet why do why do they get to take up like 10, 20 percent of your time? Mm -hmm. How unfair is that? You just need to learn to identify them early and push them off to the side and just know, unfortunately, they're a cost of doing business. Right, right. Well, and I've noticed too that in that I, I like what you said about not engaging, just offering, you know, because I've done that many times. I'm like, I'd be happy to talk to you. Here's my phone number. Like, I'll just put my name right there, Dr. Julie mm -hmm. Capel, call me. I'd love to discuss this and mm -hmm. just leave it at that. Yep. And it, it's fascinating because I've actually been called people after they've left a bad review and they, some of them will not talk to you. Like, they, you can leave messages, they'll never call you back. Which yeah. is fine because at least you've put it out there that you're mm -hmm. that you're willing to help them, mm -hmm. um, but then some of them will either take it down or or if they do leave it up, I think people that read those reviews go, well, this person's that's answering them is being kind and mm -hmm. opening up to the conversation and you mm -hmm. know whatever happened rather than trying to defend yourself in the review. And I'm curious if somebody leaves a bad review and then schedules to come see you again. Do you have a boundary around, hey, I can't serve you until I feel that we're resolved on this other issue? Yeah, I think, you know, over the years, um, I would say probably 10 years ago, I never fired a client. Mm -hmm. I, I think I had one that I fired because he just came in and he was swearing and, you know, he just was a toxic person. So maybe right. a couple over the years, but in the more recent years, I think it's become a thing where we're just like, you know, we're not seeing people that are abusive if you're going to swear or yell or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, there's other places you can go that'll make you more happy. So we have mm -hmm. been creating those boundaries, but what's fascinating, and this just happened to me like two days ago, I called a client 
to talk to him about, he, he was wanting a refill of drugs for his dog. And he hadn't come in for his follow-up blood work that he really needed because this is a serious condition. So I called him and I said, I'm going to refill your drug, but I just want you to know we need to see your dog back in for this blood work. And he was like, well, why does she need that? She's doing great. And he got like really like very angry just like that. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, you know, I just want to let you know that this is what I recommend. And, but if you don't want to do it, like she's your dog, I'm just telling you there's risks involved. And so I kind of tried to be kind and just let him, mm -hmm. he was being ugly and, um, you know, my friend's dog and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I said, fine, I just want to let you know, and I'm going to order your drugs. And, and, and then I kind of hung up and let him go. Well, he called back the next day and he apologized, not to me personally, but he apologized to the receptionist. Tell Dr. Capel, mm -hmm. I was I was, I didn't act, act my best self. I'm sorry. I barked at her and he scheduled blood work. So ultimately I got what I wanted him to do, right. but it was just fascinating because had I gotten angry back or mm -hmm. had I, had I said, Oh, fire that guy, you know, like, I just was like, all right, he was, mm -hmm. some, he wasn't in a great mood. He treated me kind of crappy, but he, he didn't like swear at me or threaten me or anything. Mm -hmm. And he calls back and apologizes. So I think That's sometimes great. we make we make a mountain because I did as soon as I hung up with them, I'm like, oh, he was crabby. You know, I kind of made a big deal out of it to my um, to my team. But then he calls back and apologizes. So, you know, mm -hmm. I think sometimes people know they're not at their best self. Yeah, and I'm you, glad that your team has language around, hey, this is the line that you're no longer having the right to be our customer. Yes. Yeah. Um, what I've noticed with teams that I've worked with, because sometimes I start with teams that don't have that that line. Their bosses never communicated to them the what difference can, between can and cannot tolerate. Right. Like there's there's like this unwritten rule that the customer is always right. And that's the way ooh, it used those, to be. Those are some very demoralized teams, typically with high turnover. And that's one of the things that we've seen since the pandemic is we've seen really high burnout rates, especially people who are in compassionate, caring front lines, right. Industries. Right. So I just want to throw out the three signs that I want, I want your docs to look for among okay. themselves Please do that. and among their, uh, among their uh, employees. And that is mental exhaustion. When you feel an inability to focus or that you're just like, can't make another decision just can't imagine this other possibility or change feels scary and threatening. Like all of that are signs of mental exhaustion. You'll also see a drop in productivity and you'll see an increase in a negative self-concept, con con like your capacity to feel well about your own thinking, your own actions starts to go out the window because these first two things have been happening. You're noticing that you're not up to, up to snuff and you start to feel bad about yourself. All of these are signs of, of trauma and burnout in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so when you see it for yourself, you know, give yourself some, some vacation and do it for your employees as well, because what the compassion that you're throwing into this practice is huge. And it has a toll. Yeah, right? there's a lot of emotion that you've got to got to handle. So, how would you recommend that people have this conversation? Like, if if you're the leader of a team mm -hmm. that is feeling a little burned out or overwhelmed by all of the stuff that we've been going through with this conflict, how do you have that conversation? Like, how do you get those rules in place? Well, of course, you're going to have really great HR policies around paid time off and mental health days and all of those things. And you're going to make sure that people use them mm -hmm. and you're going to model that and you're going to talk about how do we swap off and how do we make this possible, given that we are very likely short staffed. Does that mean actually reducing the number of people we see? I mean, it's OK to have that short term lack of income for right. that long term capacity to hold on to people, because we all know losing team members is a lot more expensive <laughs> than losing a few appointments a day. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Or closing early on a day or, you know, something. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. is it, is it like an actual set of rules? Like, could you put, I know our, our employees know that if clients start swearing or they feel threatened in any way, or, yep. you know, like you can even call the police 
on yep. people. Um, I've done it a few times, but they yep. know that that's okay. Is yep. it something that you can plan as like at a staff meeting as a team? Like, what do we want mm -hmm. our rules to be and yep. how do we want to be treated and when exactly. do we want to draw that line? Exactly. So everybody has the same understanding of where the line is and that that line is also posted publicly in your lobby so that the people you serve can see it as well. Um, and also that you encourage employees to reserve the right that if somebody hasn't crossed that line, but they're personally not feeling capable of serving them with their best selves, that they have the, they have the ability to swap out and to communicate that with their coworkers. Yeah. Would it be wise to kind of even have a, like a, like if you can't handle it, this person will handle it. And if this person can't handle it, this like is like a rank, a hierarchy of conflict. <laughs> I know when well, it gets really ugly, they always send me in. But in the what manner, I encourage, you know, what I encourage is actually to debrief each conflict so that you, as the team says, OK, what happened? What did we learn? that there's a lot of love and support around the person who might have made some mistakes and said, yeah. okay, so that's so great that you learned from that. Like, what would we like to put in place next time? Yeah. And then it becomes very situational because as, as much as I've tried, because I used to run shelters with, you know, a lot of violence and a lot of incidents. Yeah. I could never like put on paper, like first this happens and then this happens and this happens. They're like, all the different, thing, right? They all, they're all different. The mm -hmm. thing that you want on paper is really communication protocols. Like what's the point at which we will call the police? What's the point at which we will alert, you know, Dr. Julie, even if she's not here, like, right. so that everybody knows what the communication standards are, but that, that there's some fluidity around how they swap out and how they seek support from each other, because we all have triggers that we don't even know about that we're just walking around with until bing, Somebody happens to find it, <laughs> right? So it's really hard to plan for that or really hard to plan for just the fact that we all have a bad day. Yeah, certainly. Certainly some of us have a shorter fuse on some days than others, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if that, if that were to happen, like if you're having a bad day, then by all means, get someone else to handle it. Mm -hmm. or exactly. Out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. All right. What else can we talk about that's going to help people in these situations? Do you have other suggestions or I liked your three, the three, uh, three rules, mental exhaustion, decreased productivity. If you know that your team is suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's those signs of burnout. Um, oh, another thing that I did at the shelter that worked really well is that we had a code word that would mm -hmm. indicate to other people on the team but not to the people we served that something was going down okay so you could have the name of a doctor who doesn't actually work at your clinic and so when somebody's under duress with a certain interaction all they're going to say is um well dr baxter ordered those meds did, did, did those come in yet okay right so now everybody knows oh there's a dr baxter alert okay we need to we need to swap trish out she's she's got some something going down with that client right now. Okay. So and, not necessarily like an emergency, like call the police right. word, although you could have no. that, right? You could have that word too. Like paging doctor so-and-so that means right. call the police. Exactly. But yeah. Okay. But just, mm -hmm. just if you're getting overwhelmed, if you're getting overwhelmed, you want to swap out. That's the code word. Okay. Right? I love that. Or it could be, or it could be like, you know what? I just really need to go back and, and um, do that med sorting that the, the doctor ordered. Mm -hmm. then med sorting becomes like, oh, my safe place. And everybody knows that when a client or when a customer, when a, um, one of your techs wants to go sort meds, he or she is saying, I'm a little overwhelmed right now. Overwhelmed. <laughs> okay. So that could be not only used for conflict, but just in general mm -hmm. for mental health. Mm -hmm. If I'm feeling yeah. really stressed or overwhelmed, yep. then I'm going to go sort medication. Right. Whatever. Or I'm the, gonna go outside and pick up dog poop or something. <laughs> whatever the safe place is. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like that. That's a really good mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cool. All right. Are there others that you can think of? Well, those are all really great. And if the team has permission to talk every time something happens, talk afterwards, kind of debrief it in a place that's really safe and there's no fault making or blame shifting, right? Like it's all just like, oh, 
okay, what did we learn and how can we do better in the future? Um, what you'll notice is their comfort with conflict will start to increase um, and they'll start to get really savvy on, oh, well, so-and-so is better with this and so-and-so is better with that. And they'll start to just naturally move into their strong places. And then soon they'll be teaching other people like, oh, well, what I learned about that particular pet owner is blah, 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 blah. All you have to do is start talking about his grandma and he just, you know, he just becomes putty in your hands. Them. Okay. Right? Like, so, so, so they all start to develop this, this interreliance by having that permission to talk about little, little things that happen, but you have to kind of build in that debriefing time as a, as a staff team for that to work. So would you word it as a conflict debriefing or do you not want to use that word? Is it more like creative handling of the clients or like, is there a, is there a better way to put it or does it matter? Like I I think that conflict word freaks people out. I think conflict debriefing is fine. Yeah. Um, just to especially, make them more comfortable with the word. Yeah, yeah. Especially okay. if it's used to like say, hey, you guys did a great job communicating with each other and you guys did a great job, blah, 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 blah. You know, like like that there's a lot of praise in that debrief as well. Okay. All right. And are there any tricks that you teach your people um, with customer service? Because I'm assuming that a lot of your people work in customer service. You said hotels and Mm-hmm. Like, what is the magic for customer service? Like, where, well, what's the thing that you do that makes people like to come back to your business? That's a good question. Of course, the number one is de-escalate yourself, right? So right. that you Start can show you. up, that you can show up with your best self. Okay. And one of, one of the things I tell people, especially like you're talking about in these high compassion industries like yours is we have an innate desire to be kind, right? They've been studies upon studies about what makes humans happy. And we are happiest when we've had the opportunity to share and show kindness, mm. even when it's completely yeah. not, not self-serving. There was, there was a study out of Oxford University where they looked at 500 different studies around human kindness, and they all reached the same conclusion. We're our happiest selves when we're kind. So, so what I encourage people to do is see conflict as the hardest time for you to be kind and also the most important time for you to give yourself the safety to be your true self, which frankly is your kind self, right? It's the safest and, and sanest thing you can do for yourself. Wow. So, so once you have that understanding about human kindness, even in the face of conflict, then your whole team is like moving towards that goal. Like, and, and I show people a continuum of like, okay, here's how I start off, you know, very conflict averse, avoidant. I hated it. Right. And moved through these now steps. Now you do it for a living. Right? Now I do it for a living. I'm going to tell you... everybody about that. Cause I coach a lot of people on conflict. I'm going to say, Hey, I met this person. Yep. that hated conflict and now she does it for a living it's great. yeah yeah so on that, that next stage you're kind of robotic you probably need a script you know in that next stage you can handle more things but you're still you still have those like areas that kind of freak you out but you know you slowly move through that list you've kept track of those things that get under your skin and you've done healing on those things until you become what i actually call as a conflict resolutionary you Ooh. know somebody Somebody who like leans into tough situations and, and really uses them to get people out of those boxes and that false divide and all of those things that we think we have to be mean to get what we want, like get all of that crap out of the way and actually show people, oh, whatever your unmet need is, I'm here for it. Because that's what we do to each other. That's what we, that's who we are for each other. Right. So showing up in kindness is the key in a lot of ways. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's that's the linchpin of this whole philosophy, and it and it works. Yeah, you know, I used to train people how to do um, uh, escorts and restraints and hands-on conflict resolution and tactical stuff, and I I don't because ninety-five percent of the conflicts that I was seeing, even in a shelter, 
that was overrun by people in crisis. Yeah. 95% of them ha- were handled better without any hands-on. Really? Hmm. Right. Now, is it true, and this just kind of popped into my head, that if somebody is very much a bully, which we do have some clients like that, I, I can think of a couple gentle, they're both men that I can think of off the top of my head, but they're the type that really are like kind of aggressive and pushy and they want to get their way. Is, is it true that those people respond better to a little bit of strength back? Because I found with these guys, if I didn't back down, but I was still kind that I got further with them, that they, like, I was able to Mm -hmm. turn them to the point where they really liked me, Mm -hmm. even though they were super pushy and kind of rude at the beginning. And like, is there truth to that? Like you got to stand up to people like that a little bit. When people are wondering about that, I ask them, when was the last time you had a bad habit that you had to change? Hmm. All the time. (laughs) <laughs> right. And to change habits. <laughs> as, as you tackle your own bad habits, would you have done that change if you had nothing but support? There was no challenge. There was nobody pushing you to make okay. that change, right? If you yeah. had undying compassion and support, would you have made that change? No, you wouldn't have. Yeah. You had to have challenge and support. You have to have both of those things together. Okay. They complete each other, right? Yeah. Like, that backbone and that soft tummy, like they're, they're both very important. So they're, saying to somebody that's being very abusive, wait a minute, mm-hmm. you need to stop talking like that. I want to yep. help you, but you cannot yep. do, you cannot swear at me. You right. cannot yell at me. If you mm-hmm. bring your voice down, I'll be happy to help you. Like right. that's okay. Right. Because for your natural kindness to show up, she has to be respected. Right. Yeah. That's, that's non-negotiable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because there has been a few cases where I've had to kind of talk like that mm-hmm. and it, it seems to work. I mean, not always mm-hmm. there's people that will go off anyway, but yeah. sometimes it's just like, you kind of have to be tough with some of these mm-hmm. people that are real mm-hmm. bullies. One of the things I used to do at the shelter is I would, I would say, wow, you really need to talk to me about this. Can we talk over there? And if they said, hell no, I'm going to yell at you right here, right now, blah, 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 blah. Then I would say, well, it seems like you want an audience more than a conversation. Ooh, that's a good line. <laughs> and once, once that happened, everybody who's overhearing this kind of just goes, ooh, right? Like, we don't want to see this. Right, yeah. And that's at the point where I'd say, okay, well, I'll come back when you're ready to have a conversation. Right, and not be yelling Mm -hmm. in front of everyone. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, this is so fun. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? No, I'm just really enjoying this. this. A great conversation. I think that we've given some people some things to think about. Are there any like books or um, materials that you recommend for people that really want to study this whole field of conflict? And I mean, I know you coach people, so yeah. they could probably get in touch with you. But is well, there I something have, you particularly I have this, like? I have this book about kindness that I love. Okay. Um, so it's live called kind. Live, live Kind, Be Happy. So okay. if you're like really wanting to get into the heart of the matter around how to incorporate kindness as a daily practice into your life, this, this is a great one. And I'll, I'll put that um, in an email to you. So you've got the author's name. Okay, perfect. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of great books on conflict, which is why I'm starting to write this bully playbook because I, yeah, I just I love that. I, I just see a need for for more that more than we have out there. Um, I do um, 30 minute consultations with people and they can do that from anywhere okay. in the world because these happen over Zoom. Right. Um, and I try to give people some tips and advice during that consultation, even if I'm not the right person to hire to train your team at least you'll walk away with something. Right. Well, that's awesome. Okay. So where can they get in touch with you if they want to, can, can you share your, um, yeah, my website, your email? Is, my website is the best way to get in touch. And that is uh, www.seattleconflictresolution.com. And my email is very similar. It's Christine with a K, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E at seattleconflict.com resolution.com. 
Awesome. Love it. Well, this has been so fun. I love it. And because I do love conflict, I'm sure we'll get in touch again. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have more conversations. When you, now this book that you're writing, is it an actual book that you're writing? This bully playbook? It, it's a handbook, basically. Okay. So I'm probably not even going to need to publish it. It's probably going to be, I don't know, eight or 20 pages. But okay. it's just going to be like, here's how bullies operate. This is these are the things that to here's look for. Here's how they for. think. Here's how you here's how they think, think to get and here's how Here's, here's how you might contradict that. Yes. Okay, that's beautiful. Okay, well, when that when you're done with that, share it with me, and we'll have another podcast, and we'll talk about it, and we can share it on the podcast. That'd be fun. oh, that sounds fun. Because I think a lot of people in our profession really need something like this, mm -hmm. because we do. We have, you know, the majority of our clients are wonderful and kind and beautiful, and but if you have one or two in any given week, it really can throw us off if we don't keep it in perspective. Yeah. But I like what you said. If you can just offer kindness, you're going to be so much more happy. I think that's that's amazing, even to the bullies and even to the mean people, right? Right. Yeah, it's great. Well, thank you so much for being on here, Christine. I really appreciate it. And um, it's Christine Scott, and you guys look her up, and um, hopefully we'll talk again some point at some point. I look forward to it. Thanks, All right. Julie. Everybody have a beautiful week. Bye. Bye.